Every now and then we do something different at daylight. Um, I heard this week that the days of, of 45-minute monologues from a preacher are kind of over, and uh, so I try to keep mine to 25, 30 minutes nowadays. But sometimes we just do a dialogue, and I have a special guest with me today that ties into a passage of Scripture that haunts me. There's a parable that Jesus tells called the parable of the sheep and the goats, and I, I bring it up in here at least once or twice a year. But I, I was reading a, a, a dialogue on Facebook this morning about people talking about um, whether people with disabilities and mental disabilities in particular go to heaven automatically or if they have to do something to, to achieve salvation. And then they, they were talking about suicides and who, who, goes, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And there was this long debate about who gets to go and who doesn't. And I, I just feel like American Christians in particular are fixated on this question of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And I think Romans 10 actually keeps us from answering that question. It basically says, stop asking that question. You can read it in your own time. But we have this fixation. And when you read the New Testament, there aren't a lot of passages that really lay it out there as far as who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. There's, there's a lot of, of talk that kind of leads in certain directions and ways of thought, but it's not, there's, there's not a whole lot of direct conversation about the topic, except for this handful of passages, and one of these is the parable of the sheep and the goats that Jesus tells. And in the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus talks about on Judgment Day, he paints this picture of Judgment Day, how people will be separated into two tribes, the sheep and the goats, and to the sheep, he'll say, good job. You were, you, were, you were fantastic. And he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And the sheep say to him, what are you talking about? We, we would remember seeing you. Uh, you know, it's something about the flashing eyes and the bronze body or something like that. We would, we, would see, we would recognize that. He says, no. He says, when you did this to the least of people, you did it for me. When you fed people who were hungry, when you clothed people who were naked, when you visited people who were in prison, when you took care of sick people, when you, when you fought for justice and compassion in people's lives, you did it for me, Jesus says. And then he turns to the goats, and I always imagine his eyes get a little fiery at this point, and he says, you did nothing. He says, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. When I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. When I was in prison, you left me there to rot, is a way that Keith Green once said it. And he says to the sheep on the one side, he says, come and enter into my rest. For most Christians, that would mean come into heaven, come into paradise. But then he says to the goats, he says, depart from me. Uh, he, he basically paints this picture of, you really blew it here. Um, he, he, sa he says, you, your type have no place in my rest. And so really, disconcerting passage. I, you know, it's terrifying to me because I, I sleep in a very expensive mattress at night and I have multiple coats that I get to choose from when I get up of a morning and it's cold outside. Um, when, it's, when it's rainy outside, I sit under my roof or I throw an umbrella on and get into my car that has nice heating. Uh, I, I live a life of luxury compared to the vast majority of humanity that has ever lived in all of history. And I question, what am I doing with that? What, what, what am I doing to make a difference in the lives of people who are hungry and people who are naked and people who are in prison and so forth. And I think it's a question we need to ask ourselves constantly. So one of our pillars at the church is humanitarian service. We want, so in this one passage where Jesus kind of says, here's the, here's the dividing line, it's did you serve humanity? 
well, wow, we have all these things that we think are the dividing lines, but Jesus just says it implicitly. He says, you, you serve them or you didn't, and it's, boom, it's, it, 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 it divides people. And so when we came over here to start Daylight Church, I wanted humanitarian service to be the first thing that, that pops up when people get on our website, that we, we take this seriously. And so when we talked about planting the church, we looked at various geographic locations around Louisville. And like I mentioned earlier, there is this delineation between the east side and the west side. Everybody says east side, west side in Louisville. And it's I-65 is the divide. Um, and and certain, certain portions of affluence kind of skirt into both sides. But for the most part, the west side is the low-income part of Louisville, and the east side is the higher-income part of Louisville. And everybody knows this. I'm not, I'm not surprising anybody with this information. So when we talked about planting the church, I started looking immediately on the west side because I, I basically thought that's where Jesus would want his church to be. Is when, when you look at Jesus and the life of Jesus, the, the, the impoverished, the disenfranchised, the broken down, the ones in bondage were the ones that he wanted to spend his time with. But there's also strategy and, and business sense when it comes to church planting in this century anyway. Uh, right or wrong, that's the reality. And so when I started looking at church locations, I started looking for churches for sale in Louisville. And west of I-65, I think when I first started looking, there may have been 12 or 13 churches for sale. East of I-65, there was one, and it was a dump. I mean, it was like an 80 grand church that you would ta- it would take 400 grand to even become reasonable, and it had no parking. But there were 13 of these really beautiful facilities on the west side. I mean, some of them are 28,000 square feet with gymnasiums, and all they're looking for is somebody to come in and take over for next to nothing. But the, the reason those churches are there is because they can't afford to keep their doors open. They just can't afford to, to, to turn on the heat and air every month because the people in the surrounding area can't afford to support the church to keep the heat and air on. They can't afford to do outreaches. They can't afford to have staff. They can't afford to have bulletins and a website. And so they have to shut their doors and hopefully sell their buildings. So there's this dilemma of, do you want to be with the disenfranchised when you can't keep the doors open as a church surrounded by the disenfranchised? So part of my goal was that we would establish something on the east side, the more affluent side, with our eyes on the west side. It's always been my heart. It's always... It's always been what I've dreamed of. It's what I've wanted to see happen as a pastor with humanitarian service as the first of our four pillars. And so, and another principle that we believed in moving over here was that we weren't going to reinvent the wheel. That it, it, instead of starting orphanages, we would support orphanages. Instead of starting soup kitchens, we would support soup kitchens. Because there are people who have done it longer and better than we ever could, and we can give them money and manpower. So we can move into what they're doing instead of trying to start something new and having to take 20 years of experience to figure it out. So I say all that to say I finally met Dave Heigl, who people had told, Dave, you want to come on up? Uh, people had told me for years, you got to meet Dave Heigl. You guys would get along so great. You guys are so much alike. You think alike about a lot of things. And finally came over here, and Dave was pastoring a church that was Servant's Heart at that time, and it's called The River Now. Um, but we found out about his ministry called Site 61, and we've started to invest in that and get involved in that. And Dave is, for running the risk of embarrassing you, you're absolutely one of my heroes. And you've very quickly become a guy that I admire and want to be like. Um, he, he's a guy that, if I understand correctly, at times has worked three or even four jobs to, to keep his heat and air on at home while he serves the west end of Louisville and pastors a church on the east side. 
he's a guy with a, a heart for Jesus. You, you don't have to be around him very long to where you just start thinking about Jesus because that's what he does is he deflects off of himself and onto Jesus. And there's times when I think, why can't I just be more like Dave? I know that's embarrassing. I know it's ridiculous, but I think it. Um, he pastors this church, and he does a lot of the West Side. So, Dave, just tell us a, a little bit about... Say hi. And hi. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about what it is you're doing in the Portland area and kind of how you got there and what your heart is okay. for that area. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I didn't wake up one day and say, let's, let's go to the West End, although I have a heart for... Um, I grew up in Chicago. I have a heart for the city. I feel called to Louisville. You know, that's the one thing that I've always felt, that, that God plants us purposefully... And so, you know, I just wanted to reach my surroundings. And uh, anyway, we started helping the Assemblies of God with a program they did several years ago called Revitalization. And what that entailed was we would go to a church that was in the, typically the, the West End that was struggling, and we'd bring in some folks to maybe teach children's church for a month or two and to help their children's church leaders learn how to do it better. And so we did that. And uh, when that program was kind of done, when we were finished, it was right around this time of year, I guess, uh, I got a call in January, and they said, hey, we've got this church that's uh, been vacated downtown. you want to try something? And so I immediately said, yeah, I'd like to try something. And so uh, we went into the church. It was a church that had been shut down at that point about three months. So there wasn't any remaining folks around, uh, and they had uh, originally met like at 3 o'clock. And so I said, well, let's, let's try that. We'll try to do a service here in the East End and, and run down there in the West End. And we did that, I did it, I guess, for about maybe four months or so, and it just really wasn't working for a lot of different reasons. It was, at that point, was pretty transient, and so you'd, you'd get maybe four or five families coming, and then next week you'd drive by where they used to live, and all their stuff was out on the porch and out on the front lawn, and you didn't know where they had gone to. Um, and so uh, I just felt like we, we really weren't reaching you know, a lot of folks, and I wanted to do better. And so uh, we decided, let's, let's just close it down and start doing just children's ministry only, because we always had kids hanging around. And so for two years, we just did a, uh, a children's ministry that we, we kind of put together. It was called Discovery Zone. It was uh, kind of like mini musicals every week. We had different characters. So we had Dr. Reason and some other folks, you know, and they, they would basically teach on uh, creation and, and uh, biblical science because uh, we really wanted to affect the kids that were going back to school and getting something different. So we did that, and we felt like after about two years, well, maybe we could start reaching some adults, <clears throat> so let's start a Bible study and see if we could get some of the parents coming in. Started the Bible study, and we just got a bunch of church folks from other churches coming in, so I shut that down because I really didn't want to reach the church people. We really wanted to reach our community. And so uh, finally, we just decided we'd go on the street. So uh, for about two years or so, we just worked the streets. We typically would meet around 8 o'clock at night with some folks. we pray, ask God to kind of direct us where to go and what we should pray for and who we should pray for. And we would go out there and do that, and uh, that became our church. Uh, around the same time, we had a, a guy that uh, felt like he was called to Louisville, and uh, so he came and, and moved in. We had been given a bunch of houses, and so we had one that we had just been given. I felt like, well, the timing was interesting, so we brought him in. And he started working with us. He was really, really old school. He was the kind that would meet you on the street and say, if you were die tonight, you know, would you go to heaven? And uh, so I felt like he was really great with, with uh, the homeless and with uh, folks that were really in need. And so we, uh, we said, let's see if we could start some kind of food program. And so we started working the process to get that established and, 
it took a little longer uh, to get done than we had hoped. And uh, we finally got our approval. And a week before we got our approval, he left Louisville. <laughs> and so we kind of set this whole thing up for him. And, uh, but we felt, I felt like, you know, God always does things for a reason. And so uh, we just went with it and just started doing the, the, the food program. Now, at that point, we had probably been in that area for about four years, had been working. People used to say, well, you, you, you're tilling the ground. I said, no, really, right now we're just removing rocks. I mean, we, we were hitting people, you know, trying to reach them, but it wasn't as effective as I really wanted to see it become. I really wanted to make an impact on a community. We would get things like, well, how long are you guys going to stay here? Because everyone was moving out of the West End, and there wasn't a real good heart for the folks down there, and, and they, they, they knew it. Um, it was really, really program-oriented. And so uh, we, uh, we started this food program, and, uh, you know, probably when we first started, we'd have about 30 representative of 30 families a week that would come and get food and and it was it was fun and we you know we enjoyed it and the the program what dare we were hooked up with dare to care and they said well you can't preach the gospel and make you, know, you can't make people come to hear the gospel and make that contingent for them to getting food and I you know I kind of dropped it there I said well, we'll just feed the folks and make relationship and that'll be good but it was really bothering me because I really wanted to be able to to minister life to them and finally one day it just dawned on me I said hey you know we could actually give them a number they wouldn't have to stay for the service. They could just come after, and they would have their place in line. There was no requirement there. And so we started doing that. But that was only about a year and a half ago, I guess, we started that, which is pretty sad that it took us that long to think of that. Um, but anyway, we, uh, we started a food program, and it started to grow, and we got an opportunity to go to other stores across the city. So a couple of days a week, we're what I call harvesting food from grocery stores. And sometimes people call me and say, we killed the deer. We got some meat. You want it? And we say, yeah. So we take it in and uh, do it downtown. But something really interesting happened in the process of us really starting to work at the food. People started seeing us coming in a couple of days a week uh, unloading. And uh, they started to realize that we were really working for them, that, that we, were, we were serious about it. And uh, all of a sudden, the food program exploded, and, and the people started saying, well, when are you going to start a church down here? <laughs> And so they just asked us to. And so, you know, we had tried to do it on our own, but now God kind of opened up the door. And at the same time, we started sharing the gospel in the, at, the, at the food pantry. And it's just been really, it's been a, really an amazing journey thus far. And so our heart is to really breathe life into the city. Our, our name's taken from Isaiah 61, which is, uh, you know, it's the, the passage, a uh, prophetic word about Jesus. He, he read it in the temple and he said, this day, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, you know that he's, in the, he's he's come to anoint the the uh, to heal the brokenhearted. You know to to set the captives free, and it's you know really positive and cool stuff. But then at the, the last part of that, he says, as a result of of really the the least of the least, uh, the discarded, as a result of them coming and and, and getting fixed, so to speak, that they were going to become trees of righteousness, and they were going to have an impact on the city and rebuild the ruined cities. And so that's really kind of what our hearts been. You know, we, we've talked in here about race and crime and poverty and the relation and correlation and how it's all intermingled. And, and even a lot of the division that we see in our country today um, has its roots in poverty. And, and uh, where, where there's desperation, there's crime. Where there's desperation, people, people turn animalistic, in a sense. And I know, um, you know, in the areas that you're working in, they're... As low income as they are, they're also very high crime. And when, basically, my goal in you coming here today is to rub off on us. I, I want us to, to start thinking along the lines that you think and, and, 
and visualizing the West End. And I, I heard you last week talking about joining a revolution when we were there. Uh, you were talking about how you want to see not just people going to heaven that were going to hell or, you know, however you, people want to phrase that, but you're looking more for a transformation of a city. You're, you're looking for a legitimate change in the culture. And when I think about people on the East End, myself included, there's a couple things that, that probably hold me back. And one is just flat laziness, just apathy. Uh, and, and probably to a certain extent, there's this fear of the unknown as well. And I, I was hoping you could address those two, those two topics with us, is how do, how do we get past ourselves? You know, we, we love our Sunday evening NFL. We, we love our, our big meals and our comfortable chairs. And to actually get off our butts and go do something requires some kind of motivation. So how, how do we get motivated? And then two, how do, we, how do we get past the fear of the unknown, the fear of going, you know, I took my nine-year-old son with me over there, and, and there's, there's a difference getting out of the car in Portland with my nine-year-old son than there is getting out of the car on Shelbyville Road. There just, there just is with the way I, I look around, the way I watch. And you talked about a story about um, a fight that went on outside. I'd, I'd love for, for them to hear about that. But just talk about those two topics briefly, would you? Okay. Yeah, as far as the, the motivation, I'm not really sure I have any answer for that. I think that we, you know, we just, we have to get passionate and, and real with our faith. You know, our faith wasn't meant to be behind four walls. You know, Jesus, you know, I have a friend that goes, he always says, what, what, what don't you understand about the word go? You know, he said, go eat into all the world and preach the gospel. It's, it's our, it's, it's who we are. It's, it's a part of who he made us to be. Now, again, it doesn't mean everyone has to go to the West End to do that, but we are called to, to exemplify Christ. You know, we're called to reveal Jesus to a world that doesn't know him. And right now we're living in a world that has, a, that I believe the church has done a really poor job of revealing Jesus. We've made it religious. We've made it all about a system of reward and punishment. And Jesus didn't come and he didn't die so we could go to heaven. It's a perk. We get to go to heaven. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was for transformation. And we're called to be transformed. As a matter of fact, in Romans 12, he says, be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world. We'll be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We're to be transformed. And uh, he's given us a measure, you know, this abundance of grace and mercy and all of that was so that we could distribute it to those that are in need of it. And so I think, you know, we have to let our passion for the Lord draw us to places that, 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 are, that pull us out of comfort. And we just make the decision. You know, it's kind of like anything else. You make a decision to do something, and then you just kind of stick to it because you know it's the right thing. As far as the fear factor, you know, when we first went into the city, uh, there was a murder week in our neighborhood. <laughs> and so, you know, I was thinking, and it really didn't worry me. You know, I wasn't afraid or anything, but I said, you know, there's an atmosphere that we need to change here. And so we did for about a month. We, we got a, a trailer together, and we put musicians on it. We just drove around the neighborhood worshiping the Lord because there's power in praise, and there's power in changing the atmosphere. And so we did that, and, uh, you know, we went door to door and, and, and kind of shared stuff. You know, we'd collected the East End, and we'd, we'd hand it out in the West End before we ever did the food program. Uh, but I look at it, you know, it, you know Jesus went to, the, to the, the, the same clientele, so to speak, that we're going to, you know, the broken. And, you know, we're all broken. And there's broken in the east and there's broken in the west. But the thing that, that sparked my power is that everybody was moving from the west end. Every church was moving. We had long established churches that were powerful in the west end, but because of the economy and, and them being able to exist, like H said earlier, it's tough when you're in the inner city. You're not getting huge offerings down there. And so, uh, you know, the, the building that we were in had like eight pastors within a, a, a nine year period. 
And so the people didn't know how long people would stay, didn't know it was going to be a, a mere mark of the community. And so I think you, you realize that, you know, the, the scripture says perfect love casts out all fear. And, and his love is perfect. And, and if we exemplify him or if we really reveal him to others, I'm not going to go. I, mean, I can get killed in the East End just as easily as I can get killed in the West End, right? So it, it's not any, to me, there's, real no, there's no real difference. Typically in the West End, the, the, the violence and things that you see are usually people that are involved in things they shouldn't be involved in in places they shouldn't be. I mean, that's typically it. You know, there's some gang stuff that happens every now and then, and that's, that kind of goes across areas sometimes because they're, they're, they're being stupid, but it's because they don't know who they are. A lot of young men are trying to prove themselves. They don't have a father figure. They don't know who they are, who they are in Christ, and, and so that's crazy. And to, to go with the story, we, we, a couple years ago, we we'd, early on in the pantry uh, uh, collection, you know, I, I came in on a Monday, and uh, just so happened that day we got a bunch of sweets, a lot of donuts and some juice, and I had in the trailer, and I, I pulled up. I was getting ready to un unload. Back in those days, we didn't have a lot of help, so I got out of the truck and getting ready to unload, and I heard some people pretty much, you know, I heard them cussing, basically. They were just yelling expletives down the street, and it was a girl, and I, I kind of knew who she was, and so she was just going to town, and all of a sudden her boyfriend slash husband starts coming into it, and whoever they were yelling at starts getting into it, and now everyone's coming out on the street. Like, you know, you know it's, something's getting ready to brew, and it's not going to be probably very good. And so I had no idea, what do I do, Lord? And I just got the idea, well, I got a bunch of donuts and juice. So I got the, all the donuts out. I just started handing them out on the street to the people. And it's really funny because you can't argue and yell and cuss when you got a donut in your mouth and you're drinking juice. And so really it just kind of silenced all the extra crowd. It was still the two couples were there. And I guess someone had called the police somewhere on the line. All of, all of a sudden, the police came. They saw me handing out donuts and juice, you know, and they start dealing with the, with the couple. But God, you know, God takes care of us. He, he shows us what to do, and, and uh, I've never been afraid uh, down there at all. You know, we've, we, you know, there's been things in the area close by sometimes, and, but, you know, God's got our back. My son and I went and saw Justice League over the holidays, and in all these movies, Thor or Superman or something, they, they fall from the sky and hit the ground with this shockwave that goes out, and they land on one knee like this for some reason. I have no idea why. <laughs> but you're, for whatever reason, your story strikes me as Jesus doing that with donuts. It's just like, it's like there's this situation that's getting violent real quick, and Jesus just goes, boom, and you're just passing out juice boxes and donuts. And well, I guess I can't kill anybody today, I suppose. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned people being in places they shouldn't be doing things they shouldn't do. And I know it's easy for, let's just say EastEnders, for the affluent or the people who were born with more of a silver spoon to cast judgment on a, a geography. You know, we can say that's the place where all the bad stuff happens. <laughs> and there's almost this idea of they're getting what they deserve. Um, and I'm, that's not necessarily, necessarily prevalent in every person's heart, but in some people's hearts, that's the idea is if they wanted out, they could get out. Talk about that. Is, yeah. it, is, it, is, it, is it that simple? I think that's one of my pet peeves because, uh, you know, we've had folks over the years that have gotten offended that we're investing downtown and not investing more in, in the east area. Um, and, uh, you know, the scripture says that, 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 that God takes up the cause of the poor and the destitute. And I, when, I, when I read that passage, I realized, you know, you know, we have no clue. Like, you know, one, early on in the pantry, one of the, uh, there was a young lady that was helping me, and we were 
pulling out food and stuff and uh, you know she just started just sharing kind of her story you know she was like probably 18 or 17 she's on disability you know she had been molested when she was young she had all this all this baggage that that, that you know as a part of her family uh, there was a young man uh, John who was helping us uh, and and he was he was an addict he, he was he was in and out of treatment centers and he would help us one day and uh, one day he came to me and he was he was really upset and he was going to go beat somebody up because the, this guy was uh, I guess a stepfather of his son and molested his son and John was going to go after and I told John I said you know it's we're not, our battle's not against flesh and blood but it's against powers and principalities I said so we need to take care of you know the generational stuff that's assigned to your son he goes well, it's funny you should say that because I the same thing happened to me. And so, you know, we don't know all of those stories. We don't know the generational stuff. It's easy for us to say, well, they just need to get a job. Well, typically they've already had a felony charge by the time they're 18. It's really tough to get, it's a little easier lately, but over the years it's been really tough for them to get a job, to get anyone to, to hire them. Uh, you know, a lot of them would like to get out. A lot of them are, are stuck in addiction. They don't want to be there. I've got a couple that was on heroin. Now they're on the, uh, I can't remember what the drug is to, get you off heroin, but they've been on that one for forever. They don't want to be on that at all. They, they want to be free. And that's what we find typically. You know, on a Monday I'll say, how many want freedom? And the whole crowd will raise their hand. They, they're tired of being where they are, but the enemy keeps them down. And, you know, they just, they just need a, a, a bit of understanding of who they really are. You know, typically guys will come in and say, oh, I'm just nothing but an old alcoholic. And I'll say, that's not who you are. So that, that might be what you've done. I said, but you're not defined by your sin. That's not who you are. You're a son of God. You're a child of the king. And once we start seeing ourselves in a different light, then, then we can rise above that, that area, you know, that old alcoholic mentality or whatever it is that they're struggling with. And so I think we need to realize, you know, all of us know our story. We know what we've struggled through. I realize these folks, the same things happen to them. Uh, only some of them have had generation after generation. There's, you know, for example, downtown, we did a cooking class a couple years ago for the kids because most of the kids don't get meals. The parents are spending whatever money they get. They're selling their food stamps or their EPT cards now, you know, and they're, they're out there doing their thing and the kids aren't eating. And so typically a child's not getting nourishment. He's not doing well in school. So all of those things are all a part of, of, of what makes the West End, you know, impoverished. And so we went in to teach the kids how they could actually fend for themselves and cook for themselves, and then we supply food. So, you know, that's kind of part of the goal. But yeah, we gotta, we've got to change that thought. You know, if God takes up the cause of the poor and the destitute, then that, that shows us that it's really close to his heart. And so they need to be close to our heart. And think about Jesus went to the poor. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a theme that's, that's across Scripture. Even in the, in the Old Testament, you know, they would, they would take care of their harvest fields and they'd, they'd take, leave the four corners for the poor. It was already a part of their culture to take care of the poor. You mentioned identity, and I, it seems like every time I hear you speak or preach or talk or just hang out with you, that, that theme comes up is the theme of identity, is who we are in Christ. And, and when we're talking about the West End, and we... And we hear you speak, we think, oh, yeah, they need a new identity. <laughs> and that's, in my opinion, a, a very dangerous place to be. I, so how, I guess my question, talk, talk about that for a moment, just what it means for us, not, not them, us, to have a new identity in Christ, and how that correlates to them having a new identity in Christ, and then us and them becomes we. 
Yeah. Can you talk about that? I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that I see is that we, we have a tendency in the, uh, in the, just the general West, not the West End, but the West, you know, we have a tendency, our, our thought of, again, we've made it all about reward and punishment. We put a huge emphasis on the, the system of reward and punishment. And both of those are there. Obviously, yes, they are there, but that's not the focus. The focus truly is transformation. And transformation, you know, it's almost New Year's, and most of us will make a decision that we're going to change something in our life, and we're going to go ahead and say, I'm not going to eat this, or I'm going to exercise here. And it usually lasts less than 30 days because we really just can't change ourselves. But we can change our thinking, which is what it says in Romans 12. And if we can change our thinking, our changed thinking will change our, our lives. And so that's, that's kind of the step there. So we've made it all about sin consciousness. We've made it all about that, and we've made it less about really transformational. That's why a lot of us sit in churches. We still have issues. We don't open up at anyone. We don't try to change anything. We don't transform. Then we look at other folks, and we say, well, I'm doing better than that. they are, so I'm good. But the Scripture says don't compare yourself among yourself because that's unwise. And so we have to get past that 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 peace, and then realize, you know, we're saved by grace. It's not by our merit. It's not by our social economic system. We are saved by His grace because He loves us so much that Jesus gave His life for us. And it has nothing to do with our activities, our actions. And the church has made it all about, you know, we, we get to God based on what we've done. And that's simply not true. It's, it's, we get to God based on what He's done. We just get to receive what He's done. And if we can kind of keep that in mind, and that tells us who we are in Him, you know, we're not, you know, we don't get to Him because we're very smart or we're, you know, we're, we're clean or whatever it is. We get to Him because He loved us so much. And He says He loves the whole world. That's east, west, north, and south, all, all economic systems. And, you know, if His love is without condition, then why does our love contain condition? And, and that's what the church has kind of grown into, and we need to grow out of that because I tell people, if you ever play the phone game as a kid, you know, you whisper the thing, and by the time it gets to the end of the line, it's totally different. Well, that's kind of how the church looks lately because in Acts, it looked a whole lot different than it's looking lately, and so we need to get back to the original. And so um, identity, I believe, is everything. I believe that when we know who we are, you know, when we've accepted Jesus, we become uh, adopted uh, sons and daughters. And I think sometimes, you know, recently, a couple years ago, we adopted our, our foster child that we had. And uh, it really amazed me. The process was, was, was crazy. We got the paperwork. We went to Frankfurt. And at Frankfurt, I gave them the paperwork. And they took the old birth certificate. They ripped it up. And they threw it away. And they printed out a new birth certificate. Now the birth certificate says that I am her dad. And that's the one that's the reality. And, and that's cool. That's exactly what God's done to us. He's given us that new birth certificate when we accept what Jesus has done. And that is what's gotten us in, not anything we've done. And what keeps us there isn't based on what we've done, which is really hard for us because we're so motivated by doing. You know, we want to achieve. We want it to be based on our works, and it's not. People say, well, how about when he comes and, and, and judges, you know, uh, the judgment seat? Well, if you read that, it, it, the, the Bema seat is really, a, he's judging us according to what we've done with what he's given us. He's not judging us for our sin because that's already been taken care of. Sin's already been paid for. It's already covered. And so it's what do we do with what he's given us 
to do things like reaching the poor or, or, or taking care of the widow or, or whatever the situation might be. So I really think identity, you know, we need to find out who we are because a lot of us, you know, if, if we feel like we're only based on what we've done here uh, as far as our religious activity, then when that comes, stops, or if we really screw up badly, then we feel like we're nothing. It's kind of like a guy, you know, we're so often defined by our job and we talk about our job, but when we lose our job, then all of a sudden we don't think we're anybody because we don't have the job anymore. But we're not defined by any of those. We're defined as sons and daughters. And man, you know, I, I have, you know, I've, I've gained very little knowledge of that, but what little knowledge I've had has been life-changing. You know, one thing I appreciate about you, Dave, is how laid back you are. I've, I've done this a few times with people, said, hey, let's just put a couple stools up in front of the church and let's talk. And Dave is the first person that said, that sounds like a great idea. Everybody else wants to know, well, what questions are we going to ask? Or what are we going to talk about? Or that, you know, can you send me a sheet of what you're going to... No, let's just, let's just chat. So, thanks. Uh, I was listening to a song lyric this week that talked about... It, it was alluding to sins or bad stuff in our life. And it, it, it uses the phrase, buried in the deep. And, which is a scriptural concept, is that our sin has been cast so far, as far as the east is from the west from us. And, and there's another passage that, that talks about it being thrown to the depths. Uh, and my son is on a cruise with his grandparents right now, and I imagine him on the rail of that cruise ship taking a toy or a coin or whatever <laughs> and throwing it over. And let's say, it's his let's say it's his treasure. It's his favorite toy. And he tosses it over. What happens to it once it hits that water? It is gone. For, Daddy can't save it at that point. I, there's nothing I can do. It is gone as gone could possibly be. And, you know, I, even though this is an off-the-cuff conversation, I, I prayed about kind of the, the vibe of it. And I kept seeing images like that of just stuff being swept away that was once there and was once ugly and was once um, holding people down or keeping people in bondage, and for you guys as well as for what, what's going on on your side of town, our side of town, let's, i got to even shape the way I think. But talk about that. We've only got a couple minutes left, but talk about that, that idea that that's what Jesus does is he sweeps away what is ugly and awful. And what, what does he do after that? Yeah. I think, like, you know, if you look at what happened with Adam and Eve, you know, they, in their setting, they were, you know, totally God-conscious. You know, they spent time with him, and, and their, their environment was without fear, anxiety, any of the stuff that we deal with today. And in one moment, you know, the, the Lord said, you know, don't partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I define as the good that I do makes me good and the bad that I do makes me bad. And that's, that's we don't want to eat from that tree. And so they, you know, they were to stay away from that tree, and God said, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. But the enemy came in and deceived him and said, no, that's not what God meant. He, he just knows that when you eat of that tree, you'll be like him. Well, they were already created in his image. So they were already exactly like God. And they took of that tree and, and, and partook of it. And all of a sudden, their whole world came crashing down. They didn't die physically, but everything that they knew was totally gone. It was totally different than it had ever been. All their authority, their power, their dominion, all of that was stripped away. Really their sonship and daughtership was stripped away. Now they were in bondage to a new, a new king, so to speak. The world all of a sudden you know, started groaning in pain uh, because of the decision that they made. And, 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 and so you know, that's, that's the result of what sin did. But they didn't have sin consciousness before. 
And then Jesus comes and he, he pays the price for sin once and for all. And we, we, we give that to him. The scripture says it's as far as the east is from the west. It's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. I mean, it is, it is gone. It's done. But we want to keep hashing over the sin. We as a church do. We make people really sin conscious. I tell people downtown all the time, every time I see a sign that says wet paint, I can't help but go touch it. I have to know if it's really wet still. And I mean, that's just what sin consciousness does. You put the, the whole thing of sin and it just draws you to that thing. And if we keep harboring on people's sin and, and yet Jesus, yes, we want to get rid of the sin. Here's the problem with sin. It's not from God's perspective because it's done. It, Jesus paid the price for it once and for all. So sin is not an issue with him, but it is an issue with us. If we sin the enemy, then we give open realm or we give dominion to the enemy to really mess with us. And that's what he does. He messes with us in those situations. And so that's why we want to close the door to sin. But as far as it, 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 you know, God's taking care of that through Jesus once and for all, yesterday's, today's, and tomorrow's. So we've got to get past the whole point of sin consciousness because what the religious spirit does, it keeps us thinking on those things. And what we think about, that's what we become. That's what draws us. That wet paint sign calls your name, come touch me. You know, and that's, we're drawn to it. But if we start becoming more and more God conscious, which is what his heart is, you know, that we just spend time with him, then it really kind of changes that whole aspect. But I want to tell you, it's a battle. I tell people all the time, the greatest battle I think the church faces is becoming religious. You know, it, 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 and, you know I've heard, uh, I, I think it was Bill Johnson or someone said, you know, that, that once, once we start forgetting about the poor and once we start forgetting about benevolence, our religion begins to die at that point, the, the good kind of religion. But as long as we remain, remain with that religious thinking and we have a tendency to look at other sins, and, that, you know, and, and again, all of those are covered, and, and we've got to start honoring one another and trying to draw them, draw their giftings out, because I want to tell you, our city needs it. You know, our whole city, we're, we're one great city here in Louisville that God, you know, you guys are all here, I'm here, ages here, we're here for a purpose. God didn't make an exit, we're all here, and we're called to transform the city. We're not supposed to allow culture to transform us. We're supposed to be transforming culture. So how does that happen? It happens by us going out and, and loving on folks that are unlovable. Someone gave me a, 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 a text a couple years ago. It was like in the form of a, like a word of prophecy. They said, you know, that God was calling us to discard it. And I really started praying about that. I began to weep. And I thought, man, someone that's been discarded, what does that look like to bring them back? you know, into a, a, a family-type setting. I mean, we got to be careful because if they've been hurt, and I, I find that at church downtown. Last week I had, a, or two weeks ago, I had a guy come in. They, needed, they wanted to get their food early. We didn't even have it packed yet, you know, in boxes. I said, what's going to take us? We're not going to be able to do it till 2. It's going to take us that long. And they left mad. And then I saw them the, a couple days later, and I said, man, I'm so sorry. I said that we, we just didn't even have any way to do it. He said, well, I'm used to the church stepping on me. I thought, wow, that's sad. One of the discarded, and, and it's hard for us, you know. And I said, well, here, I said, listen, you, you can always get it later. You know, just let me know. I said, sometimes I don't have it ready, but I can get it ready and save it. So I said, you know, you make sure you let us know, communicate that. So, you know, I think it's important for us to, to become so God conscious. And, you know, if we're sin conscious. Typically, we're not as sin conscious about ourselves as we are others. And, and if we recognize, man, we're not all, you know, none of us are righteous, no, not one. You know, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, you know, he loved each one of us equally. 
and he loves the city of Louisville. I've heard the, several years ago, I looked at the, the statistics, 650,000 people in Louisville don't go to church. So they were using that as a relationship. It may or may not be, but 650,000, I'm sure it's grown by now. 650,000, I think Southeast is 22,000, one of the largest churches in America. There's plenty of room for a bunch more Southeast here in Louisville if we can really reach our city. And meanwhile, yesterday we hit the earmark of 100 uh, uh, deaths in our city. Uh, you know, and, and we've got to change that. We can't afford to keep losing people. We've got to change the culture. And uh, you know, the scripture says creation is longing for the sons of God to be revealed. So I'm asking, let's get revealed. Let's start knowing who we are and start reaching out to a, a people that just, they just need a touch. They just need to know someone loves them, that someone cares for them. So let's say there's some people here that, that jive with that. I mean, they feel that, they, they, they want to be revealed and they're not sure where to go. Give us the eight second version of what they can do. Yeah. <laughs> like, tell, tell, give us some, some practical things that you're doing that we can get involved in and, and like, really fly through yeah. it. Yeah, you can do whatever. You can come. <laughs> uh, we're, there, we're there Mondays and Sundays, so you can always come down there. We do extra outreaches, and you can kind of just hook up with us and, and, and tell me you want to get involved. We can show you what to do as far as that goes. But I, I want to encourage you, if you may not feel called to the West End, but you can be doing that here in the East End as well. I mean, right now we've got a, a, lot, a pretty big epidemic. You know, why does someone on drugs... They're on drugs for escape, Why are they, and or gaming even for escape. Some spend hours and hours and hours just to escape the world. Man, we need to lock them into the family and let them know that they're loved. I think, I think just simple acts of kindness and love will make a big difference in people's lives. But you know, if you want to hook up with what we're doing, we'd love to have you. It's, you know, it's pretty low touch or easy if you want to just put stuff in boxes on Mondays, that's cool. Or yeah, we're getting ready to do a, a big Christmas store on the 16th of December. What we have, we've been saving all year, and so we've been giving out tickets to people every time they come to something. So those tickets become money for them. And we'll have the whole place set up where they can do their Christmas shopping at our Christmas store. We've got clothing, stoves, microwave. I mean, we've got pretty much everything. It's not all new, but it's all good. 